Welcome to the new era by Web3 Connect. We're helping you break barriers and build brands in Web3, the next generation of internet. All right, guys, welcome back to Web3, the new era. Today, we are interviewing Bryce Lewandowski. I first found Bryce on TikTok from his NFT and Web3 related content, but he's also a community manager for the Joyage Kingdom and the Summit Club. Bryce has a deep passion for branding, teaching people how to break into Web3, and teaching people the importance of communicating your value in a way that's relatable and easy to understand for your target audience. Stick around to the end to hear Noland and I talk a bit more about the OK Bears phenomenon, the criticality for NFT projects to have a concise 20-second or less value proposition, and how you can build your own personal brand while still being authentically yourself. So with that said, let's get into the interview. Alrighty, and we are live. So today we have Bryce here with us who makes NFT-related TikToks, but he's also a community manager for a couple of projects. So I'll pass it over to you, Bryce, to tell us a little bit more about yourself. Thank you for having me, Aurora, there. Absolutely. So my name is Bryce Lewandowski, and I am a community manager for the Joyge Kingdom and the Summit Club, which are two projects that are based off of NFT YouTubers who are just content creators who want to spread their value to everyone that they come in contact with, pretty much, right? And I just, you know, I love to be a part of what they're doing and love to bring value into the whole NFT space in general. Awesome. Thanks for that. And I know you make Web3 related content over on TikTok as well. When did you start making TikToks and what sort of compelled you to create your first one? Yeah, so I started back in December of, I want to say, 2021. And around December 18th or so was the first day I actually pressed record and then actually published anything. But I really, I just started talking about the brand side of things. And that's where I saw my in within the NFT space, where a lot of people are really looking to build communities, build a following, but they're not really understanding what to build off of, right? And understanding what gaps in the market that we can actually target that can help them grow even faster. And so that's where I want to provide my value, at least on the marketing side. Yeah, I love that. Branding is a concept we love over here at Web3 Connect. So we will definitely get into that because I'm interested to hear your take. Before that, though, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about your community manager roles with Joyage Kingdom and the Summit Club. Can you talk a little bit about what your roles and responsibilities are there? Absolutely. So one of the main things I like to do is support content creators who are constantly creating videos, constantly putting themselves out there, willing to go against all the hate towards NFTs in general, right? So my role specifically in terms of deliverables that I do are really just, you know, manage the community aspect, manage the discords on both platforms and just try and create engaging conversations between people and to get more people to have conversations about whatever problems they're having, what interests that led them to be part of the Discord in the beginning. Yeah, I I think community is something that we talk a lot about on the podcast with our different guests, just because it's such a core value and foundational concept within the Web3 space. Actually, I saw in your Twitter bio, you kind of refer to it as expedition lead at the Summit Club. Is that just kind of another way of saying community manager or is there a difference there? So... The idea behind that is that we're all trying to find our peak, but it's really the journey of getting to that summit that really is part of the process and 
enjoying that aspect of it. So that whole community is full of alpha builders and we're pretty much an alpha discord looking for great projects that we can all invest in, looking for whitelists that we can get. We're a tight-knit community that we all look for all these deals that we can sweep up and then actually become a part of their ecosystems. It's a bit of an off-ball question, but it's called the Summit Club. You guys don't climb mountains together, do you? Just the different terminology. It helps keep everything on brand there. And it's also fun to, you know, expedition lead. We have that, and then there's a whole other tier system that we talk about the things within that brand itself. So there's Sherpas and then there are summiteers. That's what the general population will be called. What do the Sherpas do? So the Sherpas are the alpha callers themselves, right? They're the ones who scope out the projects and then do their due diligence and then say, Hey, you know, these are great projects that we should all look into. And then of course the summiteers would do their own research as we all tell people to do. Cade, actually, who is the founder for the George Kingdom, is one of the Sherpas. So he's one of our alpha callers there who scouts out projects and just, yeah, tells everyone about them. And we, yeah, just look to whatever we have to do to get into that ecosystem. Gotcha. And so I'm going to ask you, and it might not be what you guys are aligned with right now, but you said that uh, Summit Club is like a good bit of like influencer, not influencers, but like TikTokers as well and like video, like content creators as well. Is that right? Yep. So given that you guys already have some like branding exposure, because you guys are all doing a lot of the same stuff, I do wonder, have you guys considered like selling your services to some of these collections that could need branding work done for them? So in terms of like B2B services, like you're saying, no, we haven't been anything like that. We uh, More the content wise, it, it's more on that end. It's not necessarily like a service that we provide. We just create the content that say, hey, you know, all these other projects would need to be doing X, Y, and Z like these people are doing here. So it's all just that spread of free information. It's not necessarily the service providing thing like that. One of the other projects that I've actually been recently more involved with now is Founders Factory, which is actually more that B2B type thing where they're bringing on other projects who are looking to have these problems solved for them. Oh, sick. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, to to whatever you're allowed to share, I suppose, because I'm very curious about that, the B2B side especially. Yeah, of course. So they recently had a Twitter space, actually. It was, I want to say, a couple days ago where they had a bunch of different founders for projects. And one of their main clients that they have is Space Yetis, who we are all big fans of in the George kingdom, right? So they have all these different projects that they're all a part of, that they're all partners with. And they would share their whitelist spots that they would have for their own projects. They would share the utility side of things for developers, you know, anything to try and get that sense of information being shared for everyone and to try and just help build the space in a better, I guess, more of a wholesale kind of thing. While we're on the concept of business to business projects, I was like, as I was doing research on you ahead of this call, I saw one of your tweets the other day mention, you know, just wait until more B2B NFT projects come out offering their services for other NFT projects. And I thought that was such an interesting and valid point to talk about because right now most projects are using a business to consumer model with, with some exceptions, of course, but can you talk a little bit more about your thoughts here? And do you have any predictions as to when the B2B model will start becoming more prevalent? 
Right. So I think right now we're seeing a lot of people dip their toes into Web3 and having their own projects all set. And most of the time they fail just because they're not willing to do the actual work and learn about the space itself. They're kind of rushing into things. And of course, it's good to, you know, be willing to take action first. But it comes to a point when you actually have to do the research into the culture itself of Web3. Right. So a lot of those B2B businesses can help on that end for the marketing side of things, the community building, all the branding side of things, where a lot of these projects aren't you know, willing to put enough time on that. Because most of the selling points that they talk about are just, oh, we have a new NFT collection, right? It's nothing that a real community can get built off of besides just, oh, quick money, and then we'll see what happens later, right? No, absolutely. It kind of ties into what we're trying to do at Web3 Connect, which is to create an economy around freelancers and independent contractors because that B2B economy doesn't exist quite yet in the NFT space. So people are looking towards individuals who provide certain services for them. And it's hard to find those individuals sometimes who have the time, capacity, skills. And I mean, you see projects like Rad Rugs, which in a sense is sort of a B2B because they're providing services for projects. So I'm definitely curious to see like when we'll start going more in that direction for sure. For sure. And that'll happen too once we get more people involved in the Web3 space in general, because there's only what I think like 1.5 million people on OpenSea alone, and that's one of the biggest marketplaces. So that pretty much dictates that there's probably 3 million in the entire marketplace. So we need a lot more onboarding and just, you know, ways to actually spread the message and to help these projects build the right way. Yeah, it's it's hard to source the talent for that. Absolutely. Um, and especially with how many people just have never even approached a crypto wallet or even considered all this this whole space because it just seems like a like a scam to them. I'm curious, what got you into the Web3 or NFT space in particular? And are there any particular reasons that you've stuck around? Right. So for me, on my end, I always loved to be a creator. I always got into photography and videography. That was originally what got me into brand building in the first place, right? And then I saw NFTs as an avenue for creators in the space to have another way to monetize, have another way to build a following and build a real brand for people. And so what kept me in the space actually was people like Cade and Tom Youngs, who was the owner of that Summit Club we were talking about earlier. And just people who are constantly building, trying to, I don't want to say like bridging the gap between what two and web three but <laughs> kind of like that and yeah just helping everyone as much as we can to try and actually learn more about web three in general and the type of value that we actually can provide people with this oh yeah and i mean with how many things you have to balance on your plate too i'm sure it's it gets really time consuming so i'm wondering even how you organize your time like walk me through like an average web three filled day for you either in content creating or community management i'm just i'm so curious like how much of your time is really filled up by this stuff right so for me i probably enjoy my work too much to where i'm like i honestly want to spend more time doing this yep i'm either writing things out in my notion app that i have here i between that and then just scouring twitter and discord organizing the posts that i can do there i usually once i wake up i immediately create a twitter post and then just reshare that to everywhere else that gets me started that gets me you know kind of like making my bed in the morning right just gets me started and then everything else we're as the market needs especially as a community manager where you know you don't know what you're gonna have to get started with for the day so that's where you kind of have to adapt to what people's needs are 
Yeah, absolutely. It's always so interesting hearing about an average day in the life of people in Web3 because it's always so different and like there's no real defined roles and responsibilities quite yet. Like we're defining that now. So it's very cool to hear from different perspectives. But I know one of the major concepts you focus on in your socials is branding. It seems like you have a lot of insightful opinions and takes on personal branding and like finding your voice. And one of the goals that we're trying to achieve here with Web3 Connect is building a space where people can capitalize and begin building their personal brands in Web3. Because right in Web2, we have things like LinkedIn, Fiverr, Upwork, you know, platforms where people do that currently. So we're trying to create something similar. But can you talk a little bit about personal branding and like what tips you might give somebody who's looking to build a brand for themselves in Web3? Absolutely. So the personal branding aspect for me is just it really comes down to knowing who you are and the type of value that you want to provide people. Because once you get started with that, spending your time learning about Twitter and Discord, finding what people are actually needing their services to be, and then you just, you know, offer it as that. Because what I do, I oftentimes want to network with other people, right? So that puts me in a perfect position to be a community manager, especially with the content creators I'm working with now. You know, I'm in a space where I can thrive as a content creator myself, right? And providing value for any of the people who need it. Yeah. I mean, that's whole self-awareness part of it is so undervalued because I I think a lot of people, they'll try to build something, right? They'll try to build something that they think is really cool, really interesting that people love and just have to get their hands on. And at the end of the day, there's no market demand. No one cares about what they're building yet, right? Because they haven't found that right product market fit, but they think that because their idea is so good, there's no reason it wouldn't work, right? So it's refreshing to hear you say that for sure. Exactly. And then even... With that in mind, you know, what are you going to be building for, right? Is it going to be just one of those quick things where you're like, oh, okay, we're in demand. And then, you know, after two days of actually building to that, and you're like, eh, I don't, I don't really feel like this anymore. Are you gonna, just going to stop? Like, it's not beneficial for anyone besides yourself. Right, exactly. I mean, and especially with kind of the fundraising model of NFTs is you don't really have to deliver that long once you sell out. If you've sold out a good amount of money and they don't know where the money's going, you could just, you could say you delivered on your roadmap and then run away, you know? Exactly. How many times have we seen that happen? So it's good to hear that. Right. And then that whole aspect too, you know, to me, it's crazy to think that you can really build all this uh, hype around a project and something like that. And then you just say, okay, bye. Like, to me, that's honestly disgusting. I can't honestly be willing to do that and honestly have fun. I have a weird kind of question for you. And I guess I'm looking at this from the perspective of, like, how companies are going to evolve in the future. Because I personally see B2B NFT collections as the future in, in the sense that if you take interest in a particular niche or area of interest or whatever, and you have your unique kind of brain to bring to it and your your unique like value added can you get paid for that in an nft group where that's what they do so if it's like in my mind i'm thinking of like a branding b2b company which is actually sort of in line with what you mentioned earlier with what was it, it wasn't summit club it was the other one you're on what's it called yeah the joyce kingdom yep 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 so i i mean i think B2B NFT collections will be the, f- I mean, we're seeing that all over the place in Solana right now. I think the Money Boys, Ubik, et cetera. What do you think? Yeah, so I fully believe that B2B is going to be the future. You know, it might not be the same way how, you know, it's a collection drop and then everyone's just a part of that ecosystem. It's probably going to work in the model like Gary Vee thinks, where it's just like any transaction, you know, you get this NFT, it proves that you're part of that 
whole project and then, you know, they provide whatever services that you need. And right, that's what got me in, involved in the space is looking at the B2B aspect for content creation, right? For businesses that need content consistently on a daily basis. And that's where my background is. So I'm obviously more biased towards the B2B side of things. I mean, yeah, I can't blame you because it's the, I would argue it's far more sustainable than just one collection trying to, trying to stay relevant in perpetuity. If you're not delivering on all different angles, if it's not community art or like brand collabs with these massive companies, like it's more of a struggle to stay relevant that way than it is to continue adding value to other companies, which is why I see Radrug staying around for a while. You know what I mean? Same with all their mages. Absolutely. Yeah. And then with that whole thing, too, you know, you're thinking, how can I actually provide value to these other projects here? Just like any business nowadays, where they're looking to how can we actually fill a gap in the market that's needed that we can actually provide and that they'll actually pay money for? Yeah. Sometimes I think we get caught up in the fact that this space is so new and there's all these different terminology that are like non-traditionally business terms that we're using. But in reality, if you boil it down, an NFT project is essentially a tech startup. So when you think about all the things that go into creating a business and like founding a tech startup, the recruiting, the marketing, the branding, the like backend business operations, these teams are having to figure that all out from the ground up. Um, and you see projects like Stone Ape Crew, Solana Monkey Business, like they've done an incredible job at branding themselves. And I guess I'm just wondering from your perspective, what do you think is one of the most important parts to focus on in the realm of starting an NFT project that will you know, ultimately make you successful in the long term? Right. So in the long term, we're thinking of how do you actually provide value? You know, I talk about it all the time in my tweets, you know, how are you actually going to serve a part of the market that needs you in your help, right? So whatever type of utility you want to have with your NFT, you have to think of how that's actually going to benefit the user itself. You know, just like any business, you're thinking of what is going to make someone pay for your product or service, right? It's the same thing with your NFTs, even though we don't see NFTs as the products themselves. We see that as an access key to the ecosystem. And just how do you impact their lives for the better? That's really what I want to focus on when we're looking to building within this space. And a lot of that, too, comes from the education aspect. You know, not a lot of people are aware of how NFTs can solve this problem, but that's where you on your job of marketing needs to come in and talk about that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you bring up a good point because I think we've been talking about this a lot on the podcast as well as the, the next meta or, you know, a meta sometime in the near future being the utility meta and, you know, a focus on either providing real world utility or just providing something that, like you just said, fills a critical need or fills a gap in the market that maybe does transcend into the real world, kind of like what we're doing here with Web3 Connect and providing that platform for freelancers and networking. So I 100% agree that if you're trying to build and be here in the long run, like that sort of utility and then being able to articulate that through your branding and marketing is just crucial. And that's why, too, a lot of the content I'm creating, too, is primarily focused on the community building aspect, right? How are you communicating to your audience that this is what you do as a project and this is the type of value that you hope to provide them? What do you tell them? Like, are there any, like, struggles or common problems that, that these collections often run into that you, that you notice are, like, pretty easily solvable? They just don't take the time to think about it or fix it? Well, yeah, the most importantly, the ones that I was talking about earlier that I hinted to was... There's just say, oh, we're part of a new uh, NFT collection here. You know, just check us out. Like, just like any other business, what's going to make you actually check them out 
is they actually have to speak to you. That emotional connection to what you're doing and who you are as a person that's going to actually make you want to say, huh, I'm actually interested in what they have to offer. Let's go see more. I'm not going to be checking out projects just because he said, check us out. You know, we're the best blah, blah, blah in town. There's nothing that would actually speak to me and say that this project has what I'm looking for. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. If there's no clarity on like, what's the value delivered? It's like, why would I spend any more time on looking at your stuff? hundred percent. Exactly. Like basic things too. Not, not even understanding what you provide for people. It's just, you know, just basic things where a simple marketing book would tell you that this isn't how to do it. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. And you can, you can raise all this money, never having looked at a textbook or a marketing book or and having no kind of educational background. As long as you can generate some hype, you can sell out without having many fundamentals behind you, which is wild to me. But I mean, that's where we're at right now. So yeah. And even look at the recent drop of hype bears, that whole drop was awful. They did not deliver at all on their project that they were saying that they would give people. What was it called? Hype bears. I haven't heard of that. It was the Invisible Friends similar thing where they were walking bears pretty much and then they didn't even do anything like that. It was just these still pictures that, of course, horrible design, but people said this is awful <laughs> once they actually saw the product after release. Yikes. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, at least I noticed in these discords, I mean, I'll meet people from Australia, like the UK, Nigeria, like all over the world. As a community manager, do you find any difficulties kind of communicating with these people from different time zones? Or do you find it kind of easier if you have a team of people rotating with you doing the community manager work and whatnot? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I see the value into a team relations thing. So one of the mods that I am actually friends with here is Will, who's another moderator for the uh, George Kingdom. So we kind of go back and forth on things like that, where it's not only me doing all the community management aspect for the project itself, right? So it's best to have a team of people who are managing the Discord, you know, trying to spark up conversations, keeping engagement going and the time zone differences you just have to get accustomed to that especially in this space where it's not a lot of people involved in the entire ecosystem itself and you're not gonna meet people from your time zone more a lot because i know a lot of people who are even like cst they're mostly uh pacific time they're all around the country even. and it's actually fun to see new people like that that's where you meet the people that you wouldn't expect to meet in the real world Dude, it's so cool. And and the, the kind of relationships that you can build with someone. Um, I think I met someone in, uh, what was it, an Eagles Discord. He was like from um, from Thailand or something. And he was talking about how he runs this like bed and breakfast. And he, I, mean, I don't know if he was serious about this, but he offered to like, yeah, if you want to ever stop by, like I, I have a place for you to kind of lay over if you're interested in hanging out in the area. And it's like, just in my mind, to the extent that you can build like genuine trust with these people, your opportunities to explore the globe become come far more kind of within reach to you, which is just crazy to me. I don't know. I love seeing that. Right. And then all it takes too is just you having an ability just to press enter, honestly. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Before we started recording, um, I had brought that up and that it's so cool to just be able to reach out to somebody who you've never, never met, like you might know through socials and you're like, hey, interested in what you're doing. I think people would be interested in your background. Like, do you want to jump on a podcast? And I think the whole Web3 space has promoted collaboration on a huge 
like global scale that I've never seen before. And it's really, really cool to be part of it. But I guess on the flip side, there are some challenges too, right? That come with being in in the Web3 space. The lack of transparency around payment and just compensation for different roles on a team, whether it's mod, community management, whatever it is, there aren't really industry standards for that quite yet and how much people should be getting paid. So it's very unclear. It's very unstable. And one of the things we're looking to do here with Web3 Connect is to create like a repository of average income in the Web3 space for different roles, for people with different levels of experience. And one of the things we ask our guests is if you're comfortable with sharing how much you make on a monthly or weekly basis from your community management role. If you're not comfortable, we could totally skip over this question, but we are also creating an anonymous repository. So if you're comfortable with sharing anonymously, whatever you feel good with. Absolutely. I can, I can share it online too. You know, it's, it's no problem for me. And it's important too, to know in the space, there needs to be money in the ecosystem itself to say, okay, we have the ability to support you. Just like any business, there needs to be cash flow. That's the main priority. And that's how they keep these businesses alive. Right. So for me, I want to work for free in order to build my brand in the space, you know, provide the value for these people that I believe in because that's then even going to be a networking opportunity for me, right? Any of the people that they meet and then they can't service to whatever they're doing, they can say, hey, you know, Bryce, you're the perfect fit because you do X, Y, and Z. And just knowing who you're meeting with and everything that you're trying to do, it's going to pay out in the long term if you continue to put yourself out there. Absolutely. And I think that makes a lot of sense too, because if we're thinking about NFT projects like startups, if you haven't minted yet, these projects don't have a bunch of funds to just be handing out. So I think a lot of people come in with that mentality of, I just believe in this project and, and I want to be part of it. And then maybe in the future that could evolve to an actual paid role. How many hours would you say you work in your community management roles, like maybe per week, usually on average? Uh, yeah, so we have to put a number on things. I would say it's more than a nine to five, you know, the traditional 40 hours a week type of thing. Because I'm always checking like back and forth to see what we're talking about here. Oh, okay. So are you working full-time in Web3 then? Uh, yes. Oh, okay. That's very cool. How long have you been working full-time in Web3? Yeah, so I want to say, because it was primarily from the Joyce Kingdom too. That's where the first job that I actually had for Web3 was. And I want to say that was maybe early February around that time. You know, if you want to get technical, I think that was the beginning of the bear market. Right after the bull market, everyone's, you know, the new people are coming in. And then for the George Kingdom, especially, that's where we harp on, you know, building, just looking for projects that we can actually invest in during the bear. So then once the next bull cycle comes, it'll help flip the market and then you'll actually get your appreciation. What's wild when I think about these bull and bear markets, just even in a bear market, these devs can get paid extraordinarily well if it's a larger collection and if they're trying to build something kind of new and if they have eyes on it. I mean, the the money is still flowing in all the same. I mean, even in a bear market, we can still see a company or a collection raise, what, 800K plus US dollars in a single mint? Like they still have money to grow and to, I mean, put into their product, which is, I mean, I think it's awesome because I think it shows whether or not a project is going to actually sustain what they're trying to do, even in bare conditions, which is, I don't know, it's a good test for me or a good proxy to kind of understand whether or not these guys are trying to be here for the long run or if they're here for the quick cash and get out, you know? Right. And that's a perfect opportunity for them too, because those are the real underdogs. The developers have always been undervalued. 
until they actually provide a real product for people. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of with that in mind, I'm curious, what would you say are your thoughts on like the current NFT market and like where do you think it's going to kind of transition towards in the next few months, couple years, etc.? Right. So personally, I have always wanted to be a uh, video game connoisseur for that, right? Because I always grew up playing video games. I always was around movies and TV. So one of the main things that I'm looking for is a play-to-earn bull cycle. All the PDE games that are building now. And, you know, Alex Becker is one of the main advocates for a gaming bull run. And that's one of my personal favorites because I'm involved with a bunch of projects on that end through the George Kingdom itself. And that's what I would rather want within the space versus just, you know, another ape derivative, pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can definitely feel that. I think derivatives are a whole other topic that um, I'm sure people have conflicting views on, but I personally am not the biggest fan because it just feels a little like you're ripping off the creativity or idea of another project. And people might argue, you know, with me on that, but I definitely see where you're coming from. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. When it's just a copy and paste of another project, you know, and like you said, not even providing any real unique utility to the project and the holders itself. That's when it can really just ruin the whole space itself. And then that's when a lot of newcomers are going to be saying, okay, this is part of the same ecosystem, right? Just because they have the same artwork, it's the same utility, it's the same everything. And that's when they get burned. I would push back and say derivatives 100% have their place in the market. I wouldn't say they should be a front runner unless they're doing something kind of very unique or interesting. I will say watching the the DGENs, have you seen that collection? The the little fat, like chubby D gods that, yeah, like that one, for example, I don't know enough about the project, but I mean, from what I know, like there's no value added there, but I know a couple derivatives, like they'll try to bank off of the hype of whatever uh, project that they're copying, but they'll try to do some kind of B2B service or try to add their own kind of unique spin to the ecosystem in general, which I don't mind seeing. Like, I I think it's too shallow just to say that a derivative is necessarily bad because they're copying art. Well, and that's that's the thing too. Don't get me wrong. Like I've I have seen derivatives where they're actually building something and actually doing something with their project. But when I see derivatives that are pretty much literally just the same art with a slight change, like that just rubs me the wrong way for some reason. I don't know. So kind of shifting gears here, and this is a question we like to ask all of our guests, you know, we are so early in the Web3 space. And so we're defining what the future is going to hold. And there are so many potential use cases for NFT technology. From your perspective, what is kind of like your wildest or your craziest NFT prediction? Like in the next three to five years, what do you see the world using NFTs for? Uh, I see the NFT technology becoming more mainstream in the five-year aspect, right? Because it took a while for the internet to even get mass adopted. And, you know, the technology behind it itself, as we all know, is just like any transaction on a smart contract. It's going to change that whole aspect of how we do business. And crypto is probably going to be the easiest buy-in for people to become a mass adoptive thing into the Web3 space. So I think that because we're already seeing a lot of uh, businesses and companies and even countries getting involved in crypto itself, right? So I think that education side of things, it's perfect for them, all the newcomers. And then NFTs will become, like I said, part of that smart contract transaction. It's just, it's easy and done. 
I think that's well said. I think that the the, the major difference between Web three and Web two is onboarding for Web two is you have to have a personal computer in your house or you have to have a smartphone already to to log into a Gmail or whatever. The the biggest barrier for Web three is which wallet do I log on to and how do I use this thing? And to, to that extent, I think Phantom and uh, I think uh, what was this other one that I was using yesterday? Kepler. Um, they they have phenomenal wallet interfaces. So to the extent that people can just casually download a Phantom wallet, figure out what to do with the private keys or the um, the seed phrase, and then just kind of use it as as is. I think that step right there is the biggest barrier to entry next to the mental step of, oh, like crypto is a scam. Why should I be using this whole thing? (laughs) Oh, yeah, 100%. And it's so funny that you say that because when I got into this space last year, that was the biggest barrier to entry for me. Like it took me forever to figure out how to set up my crypto wallet. And in retrospect, it's so simple. Like it just like is embarrassing almost for me to admit that. But like really though, like it's a foreign concept. So it's it's all very new. And I think that in itself is deterring a lot of people from entering the space. But the the second piece of what you said, no land is definitely a big thing on TikTok, Bryce. I'm sure you have people in your comments trolling like I have on my profile as well of the non-believers in crypto and NFTs. And there's a lot of fear around it all being a scam and it all being a pyramid scheme. And I don't know where these people are getting the the concept that it it might be all a scam and pyramid scheme or if it's just propaganda, but for sure, like a lot of people have that sort of apprehension. Absolutely. And then I see it as a meme. Of course, I come from that background, knowing the internet culture itself will always find some way to make fun of things like this. It's a new technology too, of course, when there's people who aren't willing to actually learn about it, you're going to have your own assumptions. That's just human nature. Yeah, 100%. And a lot of those assumptions are kind of rooted in those echo chambers. I, oh, dude, Gary V, he had this one podcast clip that I saw yesterday, or it was a video clip of him talking. And I think it was it was boarded phenomenally. And his strategy is just, it's, it's so 3D chess-like where he understands that if you watch one of his pieces of content, it's like, yeah, okay, there might be something there. But one piece of content is not going to change your life or the way that you think about things. It's the fact that Gary continues to show up in your recommended. And then for, I think he said, 180 days, he's pounding the same message inside your head. And then the change comes through, right? So it's really to what extent you're listening to the right, quote unquote, right voices in your ear to kind of inspire that change. And exactly what he said, it's not a one-off thing. It has to be several different voices that you're listening to supporting the same thing that are going to really change your angle on something. It's never a one-time thing. You know what I mean? Right. And then even just like you said, it's the same message, but because he's been pumping out so much volume worth of content, you know, it's, you're getting harped on every single day. And then exactly every time you listen, you're saying, Oh, this makes more and more sense. The more times I think about it, the more times it's reinforced into my social feeds. It's actually interesting that, Gary said that because I've heard this quote, or I guess the scientific fact before, where on average, it takes 66 days to develop a new behavior for it to become normal for you. So that almost kind of ties into his concept of like jamming the same content in front of people for a month plus. And if you're seeing it consistently every other day or whatever it is, that then, okay, your brain starts to recognize that as familiar and wants to know more about it. And that almost kind of ties back into the concept of branding as well, like we were talking about earlier. Right. And then even that whole thing, you know, it's not you're saying the same message 
over and over, like word for word. You're finding a new way to communicate that message, right? For the people who don't listen to it verbally, they have to see it in written form. They have to see it in visual form and whatever type that's actually going to click for them. And that's from my end as a content creator, it's perfect because I can always find ways to say the same message 7,000 different ways, right? That's what makes the creator more valuable in the sense that they can actually create that connection and then actually speak to an audience that same way. Yeah. And to that, I would ask you, Bryce, well, one, do you see yourself staying in this space for a while? And if so, what's the main reason behind that? Like, do you have like a bigger purpose in your mind that you've set that you really want to hit on as you kind of continue to grow out your own TikTok and your own brand, et cetera? I absolutely see myself in the space long term. You know, it's it's just whether or not it'll be the same way as me as a content creator as is, or I go on to start one of the other B2B projects. And then my ask, it would be more on the content side still. It would just be whether or not it's a manager or the uh, project founder itself. There's always going to be some other way that you can provide value in the space. It's just knowing who you are, like I keep saying, and just know that you can actually provide that value for someone because everyone needs something that you have to offer. Yeah, 100%. And I guess I'm, I'm trying to get at, like, can you touch on the very like specifically, like what is like your purpose in here making all this content if you've defined one? Is it lower the barriers for the average person to get in? Is it to expand what B2Bs are even capable of in the crypto space? What do you see? Right. So if I wanted to get like specific, this is exactly what I do for X because of Y. It would have to be, I want to empower creators into knowing what type of value they can provide for people in the Web3 space. It's all about empowering from my end as I'm building my relationships within the space, as I'm doing these conversations here and as I'm providing this value for all these other people here. Yeah, no, that's perfect. That's exactly what I was asking. Thanks, man. Alrighty. Well, I think those are all the questions we had for you, Bryce. Thank you so much for joining us. This was a super awesome conversation. And I like how we focused around branding and sort of the marketing aspect of it, because bringing those relatable business concepts into Web3 and starting to talk about the space this way will only help continue to break barriers and continue to get people interested in what we're all doing here and why, you know, why we think it's the future and why we think it's so cool. So we've really enjoyed chatting with you. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having me too. I had a great time as well. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow Bryce on TikTok and Twitter at B11Dusky with three eyes. You can keep up with us on Twitter at Web3ConnectX and stick around if you want to hear Noland and I talk a bit more about OK Bears, the importance of a value proposition, and how to build your own personal brand. But otherwise, we'll see you next week. I've been pretty busy lately. I think I told you I'm taking off of work right now uh, for, I think it's like a total of six weeks at this point. It's more like four weeks left. Um, so I'm helping Crypto Zach with his course. I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, but you probably have heard of it though, because it's he's teaching the course through Soul Academy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I actually saw it on the Google calendar. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that's actually my personal Google calendar. And I was like, oh, I'll give no land access to it. So he knows what. Like, oh, thank you. <laughs> I get to see your yoga times too. Very interesting. <laughs> right. My therapy times as well. But 
what was I saying? Oh yeah, I've just been busy with that. Like I, I thought I was going to spend my whole time on Web3 Connect stuff, but then like he needed help with the developing content and teaching for his like CM and mod course. So I've been doing a lot of that. So. That's awesome. That was really cool. Anything um, you've enjoyed in particular doing that? Any challenges you worked through? Um, I mean, I like teaching. We haven't actually started teaching yet. Uh, his class hasn't minted because Solana has been having all of those like performance issues and whatever. Actually, I think it just minted, right? The Is it the May 2022 course? Yeah, it's supposed to start tomorrow. I think they ended up opening it because they were like, okay, let's just like leave it open for 24 hours and see if people can like get their transactions through. Mm-hmm. Has he minted out yet? Did you see something about that? I don't know if he minted out, but um, if you go in the Soul Army, the team Instinct has three of them. So I guess it's actively minting. Yeah. Oh, okay. Which is interesting. I think the whole minting game is going to change. The whole whitelist meta should change because the bots just absolutely ripped through the Solana ecosystem. Like the net, the whole network was just overwhelmed by the just the sheer amount of transactions going through, and that's yeah, that sucks. I mean, everyone's struggling. Everybody on ETH is like, ugh, the Solana network's down. Meanwhile, they're paying like two ETH in gas fees to mint the other side. <laughs> right. It seems like people on ETH don't really mind the gas fees. That like I've I've talked to people who are. Like diehard ETH users, yeah. And I bring up gas fees, and they just are like completely stoic, like straight face, like they just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't care that they're spending all that money. Well, so here's the other thing, though, with ETH is that because, like, I think of it this way: think of any boomer portfolio. What are they being told to buy? Bitcoin and ETH, right? Dollar cost average Bitcoin and ETH. So, to the extent that you have boomers dollar cost averaging Ethereum you have probably a good number of outside money that is comfortable with the ETH network. And similarly, you have that kind of liquidity moving around the NFT market. It might be limited. I'm sure not everyone with ETH bags are buying NFTs, but a lot more than Solana, right? So even if they're paying two, 300, 500, two grand, seven grand in gas fees, like they've made 30K, 50K, 100K off a single flip sometimes. And I think it helps putting that into perspective as well, because it's just like, yeah, yeah, it really is nothing to them a lot of the time, but I'm sure it's not fun if you're a smaller player. Mm-hmm. I was just actually talking to Toast about this the other day because we were talking about OK Bears and how it's highly likely that like the volume that they were trading at and how high their floor price got so rapidly after mint, like unprecedented levels, there had to be like major ETH players involved because like there's just not that much volume moving on Solana in such a short period of time. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is crazy. I think <laughs> I was putting ETH money. It, it peaked at like 200. I got really lucky. I sold the top at like 198. <laughs> and then I, <laughs> yeah. And then I bought back in at 109 for this like nice little book hat guy. So that's, <laughs> so I'm just sitting on like 60 soul for free pretty much. And I still have exposure, which is great. I try to ride exposure to projects for free whenever I can. And if that also means that I can swing trade with a little bit of extra liquid, just sitting around like that's the dream and i'm actually super lucky that's a major win dude congrats <laughs> thank you i love that uh actually speaking of okay bears in crypto Zach's course there's a whole section on branding mm. and i wanted to talk about that today because i know you love that topic and one of the slides is a case study on okay bears and i'm curious to hear your thoughts on like how do you think that they were so successful from a branding perspective? Did they actively do that? Do you think there were certain communities who were pumping their own bags or like, I don't, I don't know. 
So truthfully, I think that ETH money has been here for a while, kind of lurking on the sidelines, only buying projects that they truly understand and believe in. So in my mind, that means they have exposure to Kets, Catalina Whales, D-Gods for sure. And when you have that kind of ETH money that already has exposure to the ecosystem, I think OK Bears, I mean, obviously in hindsight, it's really easy to say this, but it was perfectly positioned to pop off as much as it did. And for a few different reasons. One, I saw this branding case study on Twitter. It was it was fascinating. Um, but the art is just great. I mean, there there aren't that many ugly bears. That's a that's number one, right? Like the color schemes, the palettes, all like the off-white, like pastel colors that they use in the background. Like the whole collection just kind of like looks really nice. Wait, I'm going to push back here before you continue though. The art is so basic though. Like it's so simple. It's so like, there's nothing like, and I'm not, I'm not knocking them at all, but just from what I've seen, like it's, it's not very innovative. You know, it's, it's not very like complex. Like I feel like a lot of artists could probably pull something like that off. And even if I saw this thing comparing it to Board Ape Yacht Club art, and actually there are a lot of similarities to the point where people are almost like theorizing that it could be made by the same artist, by the same group. I don't know, but the, the art, it's, it's nice, right? But it's it's not anything like novel. So yeah, I, I hear you 100%. Um, I think there's a difference between copycat collections and collections that take inspiration from other collections. I think it's fine to take inspiration as long as you have kind of your own take on it. I think the art is really subjective. If you think it's basic, if you think like, I can't disagree with you. And to, and to some extent, I do agree with you. I guess the way that I think of it, and it's kind of strange because I haven't heard anyone else talk about it, is they're kind of capturing like market share of an idea of the downside of crypto. So I know I've heard this iterated so many times in Twitter spaces like wag me when everything is going up, we're all going to make it one Lambo, whatever. What about during bear markets, right? And who else has created a collection that literally is designed for bear markets? You own a bear, you embrace the bear market and you just say, we're going to be okay, right? You're capturing some kind of solid community around the fact that no matter where the price goes, we're all going to be okay, right? And I, I think that's like that messaging is really powerful. I think that when you combine the messaging with the art and the way that they've executed the art, they might have a winning product. I think as well that the team was not ready for this amount of success. They they were not expecting it. They put a couple announcements in the Discord talking about, we did not expect to see this. We're rebranding our merch packs. We're doing this, this. We're going to meet up in person. I don't think that would have happened if they got like maybe 10K, 50K volume. They have 500,000 Solana in volume right now, which is ridiculous, right? And 551,000 as of the time I'm reading this. So when you have that much money, when you have that many eyes on you, I think the only thing you should be doing is figure out how are we going to pivot to make sure that we can capitalize on the amount of attention that we have right now. So I'm glad that we're seeing all of this go through. I actually forget the point that I was making with this. <laughs> I interrupted you and you were saying a few reasons as to why they were so successful from a branding perspective. Yeah. So it's a, it's a combination. Okay. As it pertains to branding too, I think ETH money is betting on collections that have viable potential to go mainstream. If you see OK Bears on New York Times Square versus a Soul God, which one's going to catch your eye more? An OK Bear, in my opinion. Soul God's like, okay, yeah, it's cool. It's weird. It's gonna, I like that art. It's different. OK Bears is way more relatable. 
and when the messaging is we're all going to be okay like anyone can understand that you don't have to be in the solana ecosystem to appreciate it and to the extent that people can wear merch and be proud to rep it and not look like some obscure collection that's a big deal right and that's what d gods is trying to do right now with their big three acquisitions in the in the whole basketball space as well it's like they want to make their brand known and it's I always think back to how much outside money are they trying to attract? And I think OK Bears is really well positioned to attract outside, outside money, not Ethereum money, but outside attention, Web2 money, right? And not to say that they're going to do it well, more so that ETH and sophisticated buyers in ETH and Soul are betting that OK Bears have the potential to go sort of mainstream. And I think that's why their their floor price rocketed to like six ETH. Okay. I get that. I totally agree with that. That makes a lot of sense. And actually, I'm probably the last person to put two and two together on this because I really wasn't keeping up with their project, but I didn't even put two and two together in terms of like their artwork is of bears. And that sort of is symbolic of the bear market with their catchphrase as well. Like, you know, we're all going to be okay. So that's actually really funny that I just realized that right now as you were talking. Well, it's funny. If you didn't realize that, I'm sure a ton of other people haven't realized that as well. I mean, again, like I said, you can always use yourself as a proxy for what other people understand. So for example, another perfect example of this is the Soul Gods. They have like a 30-page or like 25-page roadmap of some really cool stuff that they're trying to do. But I have no idea what they're doing aside from a bridged collection that I think is supposed to be good for whatever they're doing. I really don't understand it. I know that their staking is trying to be innovative. They're trying to do cool things. But if I can't understand what their roadmap is, I would wager, and I've looked at the the, the white paper. I didn't read it thoroughly, but just the fact that I don't understand what's going on is probably not unreasonable to say that like 60 to 70% of holders also don't know what's going on. Dude, that, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you brought up that point because, so I I can't actually say anything specific about this yet because it hasn't been announced, but Mm, interesting. (laughs) But I'm working with uh, Fellowship, General Soul is going to be part of it as well, Fearless Bulls Club and Bounty Hunter on a new thing that's going to be probably announced this week. And one of the things I was reflecting on as I was thinking about like, how we're going to approach this new thing. And I know I'm being super vague, but it's the concept of, and we've talked about clear communication before, but specifically like your value proposition and your roadmap. I see so many projects in the boat of what you just described. They're being way too complicated with the way that they're describing their utility and the value they're providing to people. And a lot of people are pretending they kind of get it, but like really they're kind of just riding the wave of hype or get certain portions of it and whatever it might be. But I think a lot of projects are going into their business strategy, not even thinking about how the end user is perceiving things, because frankly, sometimes it doesn't really matter in this space because people are going to hop on it anyway, even if they don't really fully understand it. But I personally think we need to be better about that because in my opinion, if you can't explain your utility and your value proposition in less than 20 seconds in a way that somebody will understand, so like a layman would understand, then you should not be creating a project, period. I don't know if that's controversial, but it just seems like 
we're not prioritizing clear communication. Exactly. A hundred, like, yes. Why is the customer not the number one person that you are trying to help understand what exactly your collection is trying to do? And yeah, I think a lot of projects miss the mark on that. And it's part of why I think OK Bears had the success that they did because they're not trying to do anything crazy. They are just like among the standout brands in the Solana ecosystem right now. Anybody can look at a bear and see bear market and see okay bears and see oh we're gonna be okay that's their like their their little catchphrase anyone can understand that any like 13 year old that has any understanding of a bear market or a bull market can understand what that means right but soul gods my goodness that's a different game like who understands that well i think it comes back to the concept of relatability that you were just talking about and like even the most simple foundational concept of having a catchphrase like we're all going to be okay or whatever other catchphrases that projects have it makes people feel heard it makes people feel included it's relatable and if you don't have that relatability as a project then you're missing the mark on something like that's how you make connections with your prospective consumers and community which will then in turn build trust result in you know people sticking around for maybe longer than they would because they they trust the team, they relate with the team. The same thing comes back to, I've been reflecting on this a lot because of Crypto's X course and developing the branding content for it, like the personal branding aspect of it, like beyond projects, right? But you have to also be relatable as a leader, as a whatever you're trying to do, you know, I don't want to say influencer because that's not, I don't really like that term, honestly. But it matters. My God, it matters. Look at Frank. Look at D-Gods. Frank is like the influencer in Solana right now. Maybe in crypto in, in crypto Twitter, I think he's among the top influencers. And like, because people can relate to him, because people look up to him, D-Gods, I mean, I'm so confident that plays a role in D-Gods success. Similarly, the influencer status that a general soul would have, or like the soul gods lead, or even Peblo from Kets on Crack, like the way that a leader of a project can continue to show and demonstrate to the holders like what their values are, what they stand for, and actively live by that. I think those are the ones that resonate with their holders the longest because when you see that propagated from the top down, it's very, very easy to kind of like appreciate it a bit more. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, 100%. And we've talked about the importance of leaders curating that sentiment and making sure that they're living by example so that other people have the desire to do the same. But the other part of it though, and I feel like we've kind of briefly touched on this before, but I've been thinking about it a lot lately, which is when it comes to personal branding, right? Like there's a difference between branding a project and branding yourself, but there are a lot of similarities as well. I saw this tweet and I think that's why it got me thinking about it. And somebody was like, screw personal brands, right? Like why are we so concerned about how we're coming across to people like shouldn't you just be your authentic self and you know not worry about defining that and making sure you're being consistent like it almost feels like fake like at what point does personal branding become too curated is personal branding something we should be worried about or or like is this person right right like should we just be our authentic selves and if a brand builds around that then it builds around that but you're not kind of consciously strategizing like this is how i want to come across to people so I, I think that's that's a really hard question, and I think it's multi-layered, and I think it's gray, not black and white. So I think of Jordan Peterson and Gary Vee, and I heard Jordan talking earlier today. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's like the psychologist, and he tries to help people get their lives together, all this good stuff. He was talking about, and it was, it was such simple framing and such simple messaging. He said, aim at the highest thing that you can aim at and speak your truth. 
And that is literally all that Gary Vee does. He aims at the highest thing that he can aim at, which is helping people, spreading love, spreading kindness, whatever. And he just communicates how that truth has helped him in his own life. And as a result, he's created a brand for himself as that kind of person. I think that's really important. And so I think you're wondering, like, is it even valuable to build your own brand? Like, to what extent are you not yourself versus speaking your own truth? I think if you're being inauthentic, you should not be branding yourself. I think you should, I'd, I'd rather you just shut up if you're not going to be authentic, if you're going to be toxic, whatever, like just don't spend time trying to, trying to get people to listen to you if you're spreading that negativity, right? And on, on a similar note, it's, it's right. It is hard. It is a hard line to draw because at the same time, personal brands are really important. How people perceive you, what kind of takes you have, do they, are like, are you building your own trustworthiness among your followers and are they inclined to listen to you and is what you're saying? of value to them. Right. But then I guess my question is still, right. So I just looked up like the actual textbook definition of branding, right? Because sometimes I do that, right? Like we know what words mean, but like how are they actually defined? And this is just the first one that pops up on Google, right? The promotion of a particular product or company by means of advertising and distinctive design. And maybe I should look up personal branding because just being authentic and being true to yourself and, you know, speaking your truth and a brand sort of haphazardly building around that. I don't know if you could even define that as personal branding, right? Because branding is, is an active thing. Like you're doing something to achieve a certain result actively. I don't know. Like it, it almost seems contradictory to me because I agree, like you should be authentic. You should be who you are. And if, you know, people start to follow you and, and want to hear what you're saying because of that, then yeah, you sort of built a, a brand around yourself, but it wasn't intentional. This is so complicated. I, I like there's there is no like right or wrong here. I like if you are genuinely aiming as high as you can and trying to be good for the space and trying to learn your own lessons and trying to pass on what you've learned, I see no reason that people wouldn't find value in the things that you learn if you're putting stuff together reasonably well. You know what I mean? And to that extent, like I, I was thinking about like if I were to brand myself, I could brand myself as like the no land beyond i have a little mountain in the twitter banner and like someone like looking with goggles over the mountain or whatever and like searching over the horizon could be my brand and i I'd literally just like write my takes on whatever is happening in the soul ecosystem and just like write out what i'm learning what i'm seeing etc like I, f I feel like as long as the infrastructure is there like the name the banner the um the description then just being myself to the extent that i want to provide value and provide good takes to people that follow me like isn't that branding as well but i'm not necessarily doing anything inauthentic i'm just being myself and writing out my takes and that's still my brand mm -hmm. i think what i'm getting caught on is the definition of traditional branding that companies sort of use and if you apply that to a person then that feels inauthentic because companies are very curated in how they're branding themselves but I just looked up, I just Googled personal branding just to see how they define that specifically. And I just found two different definitions, one that I don't agree with and one that I do. So I think if we're framing personal branding as the effort to communicate and present your value to the world, mm -hmm. that is what we're talking about in the sense of just being authentic. Like you're just genuinely interested in something, passionate about something, have an idea or opinions about something, and you are communicating that and presenting that to the world because you think it will provide value in some way. I like that definition that makes sense to me but then you have you know 
this other definition, which is personal branding is the conscious and intentional effort to create and influence public perception of an individual by positioning them as an authority in their industry, elevating their credibility, et cetera. That to me feels too curated. I think so too. Going back to Gary Vee, he had this talk um, or this YouTube short and it was talking about how like this one person reached out with a concern of like, how am I supposed to make content if I'm not an expert on these things? Like, what's the threshold? Do I need to be an expert? And Gary was like, no, you just need to write your takes. You don't need to be an expert. You don't need to be a pro. You just need to write about your truth, what you see, what you've learned. And that also requires an amount of humility. If you are trying to create a Twitter account and trying to influence people and position yourself as a person of authority, you have a lot more opportunities to run into trouble than if you were to just be your authentic self and not trying to influence what people think. Yeah, I agree. It's a fact that you can look anything up and validate any opinion based off of like something that you find online. Like you're going to find like contradictory information. And this is a great example. I just Googled personal branding definition and the first two things that popped up were completely different definitions. Like who's creating these definitions? I (laughs) I guess at the end of the day, right? Like the definition of some things, personal branding included is just subjective. Like it's, it's how are you interpreting that? And there is technically no right or wrong, but you know, if you think Think about how people have been successful in the space. It's usually the authenticity aspect that is at the core of it all. Yeah. Branding and influencing is very strange in the sense that the more eyes you have on you, the more responsible you are for curating what you tweet and not curating in like a, let me try to influence you all, but like you're setting an example because of the amount of eyes that you have on you and you have to be a bit more responsible and a bit more conscious about the things that you put out when you have a number of eyes on you as opposed to if you were just some anonymous silent twitter journal oh yeah yeah curating in the sense of you sort of by association have an obligation to just like be a little cognizant of the way that you're framing things and not just make completely like outlandish, you know, obviously inaccurate or offensive claims, right? But then on the flip side, like you see a lot of celebrities saying like, I didn't sign up to be a role model, right? What's the line between like sharing your genuine thoughts and and opinions on something that may or may not be controversial and feeling like just because you have a following, you need to be a role model for people and you can't say certain things even though you might be thinking them. Yeah, it it is weird because <laughs> I'm sure we've all had thoughts that we are most definitely not allowed to type or even think on Twitter or like out loud at a disc. Yeah, um, I don't think branding is super complicated, not to say it's simple, but it's not complicated in the sense that as long as you just aim high and try to add value and try to show people what you've learned and help them out in whatever area that you are comfortable talking in, I think that's a, I don't want to call it a winning formula, but it's like whatever traction you get, you're going to get whatever traction you don't get, you're not going to get. And that's fine. Like just be you just try to cure, not, not curate, but like try to be a value added and try to be a good person. And I think if it, if you really keep it that simple, you're going to be a good person to listen to. Thank you.